Good morning, and uh, can I invite you now to uh, grab your Bible, if you have it, and uh, turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, We're going to read from Colossians chapter 1 here this morning. So uh, when you find that, if you could, please stand as we give attention to reading uh, this passage from God's holy scriptures. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, reading through verse 6. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Let's pray together. Father, we gather this morning as your people, not here on any merit of our own, but only because of the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Thankful for this family that you have brought together. We thank you for the children that you have entrusted uh, to us. Just uh, again, just, just, just thankful for, for, for families who want to, want to seek to point their children to you, to know and love Jesus above all things. And so we celebrate that this morning. And as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us as we, as we look into some, some, some issues and some values that are, that are, that are uh, deeply important into what we are called to be and to do here, uh, both today and over the next few weeks. I pray that you would uh, unite us together as a people. Um, as we are covenanted together uh, as a church community, I pray that you would uh, grow us together, that you would strengthen us uh, in our relationships with one another and our commitment to following Jesus above all things. Uh, no matter what the world is saying around us, I pray that we would give our steadfast allegiance uh, to you alone because you are our sovereign Lord. You rule over all things and you have invited us into your story to be your people, to carry forth your mission. And so I just pray that you would guide us uh, in these uh, next few sermons as we look into these issues, that you would just uh, uh, yeah, unite us together as your people. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. You all can have a seat. <clears throat> if you've been around here very long, you likely have heard us share any number of times our mission statement. If this is your first time visiting with us, then uh, this is our mission statement. It is this, our statement is this, that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His people. We also say that that, that we believe that we will carry forth that mission most effectively as we embrace these three passions that we highlight all the time of love, live, legacy, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to live together in gospel community because God has united us together through the gospel and then to, to seek to leave a legacy of faithful, committed followers of Jesus. And so if that is our ultimate goal, that is our, our grand vision, what we believe that God has called and invited us into as a church, that's why we do what we do, why we gather, why we exist, then we also say regularly that we have two main structures or pillars, as we often say, that, that support that very practically. In a very practical way, the, 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 the structures or pillars of the two uh, things of the crossing that really support this vision is our Sunday gatherings and our life groups. You guys probably all are very familiar with this. And so what we wanted to do as we we talked about that very regularly, we wanted to take a few weeks and just highlight something maybe that we don't 
often emphasize as much. And that is what we see as our four core values of our life groups. And so if you've never heard this, we want to be very clear on what these are. These are the things that that really are at the foundation of what our life groups are intended to be. And so our four core values are these, gospel growth, fellowship, service, and mission. So we're going to take four weeks to really highlight these four values. And we believe that these are the essential qualities that, that define a healthy Christian community. To the point where I would argue that if if these things are not present or at least being cultivated in some sense within our communities, then there's there's a sense in which we could say that, that we're falling short of what it means to be a people who are changed by the redemptive work of God. And so we thought, thought that it'd be important before we jump into our next sermon series here in a, in a, in a few weeks, our, if, if you're new here, our regular rhythm and pattern for preaching is that we walk consecutively through books of the Bible. So in a number of weeks, we're going to dive into the book of Nehemiah. But for the, as, as we finish out summer and before you know, everything gets, gets rolling here into the fall, we wanted to just take a few weeks and kind of reset and really focus in on, on what is the foundation of our life groups? What does it mean for us to live together? What are we aiming for? What are we trying to do? And so our hope is that this will encourage even our life groups to maybe take some time to, to reflect on where they're at, to maybe press in and, and seek to grow in some of these areas. Hopefully this can be a time that can challenge even you personally on your own involvement within this community. Because uh, may, maybe you've been here at the crossing for a while and you've been part of a life group for quite some time, maybe different iterations of life group, and you have found it incredibly rewarding. You've, you've seen it as a valuable asset in, in a way in which God is using to shape and grow you. But maybe there's others here who have been in life group for a while and starting to get difficult. Feels kind of stale lately. Maybe it's changed a lot over the last few years. Maybe your life group multiplied and the group you're a part of now has maybe different people in it that maybe you're not quite as close with as you used to be with the other group. And maybe just uh, things have gotten challenging. Maybe relationships are a little more strained. So maybe some in here have even taken a step away from life groups for a while. Maybe they have just not really seen the need for them in their, in, in their life right now. Maybe uh, you view it as kind of a big commitment, and you got a lot going on, and life is really busy. We're all busy, and so maybe we just don't have time for this rhythm uh, within our life. Um, maybe you feel like, well, I can, I can find community and relationships just fine on my own, so I, I don't really need the church to provide or offer that for me. Um, regardless of, of, of where you find yourself, and maybe you're even new here and you just don't really even understand what life groups are all about. I, I hope that as, as we talk through these, these values over the next few weeks, that, that we can maybe realign ourselves as a community to, to what we are called to be and to do together as we live in community alongside one another. And uh, I, I hope that this series can, can hopefully challenge and encourage you to step into that, that messy and beautiful world that is the Christian community. We realize it's not perfect. We don't think that we have everything figured out and that our life groups are just crushing it on all levels and it's this like ideal place that's just this utopia of relationships. We're under no illusions of that, but at the same time, we believe that God has invited us together to live life with one another. And here in the crossing, one of the ways that we believe that that is most effectively going to be carried forth is as we gather and connect in smaller communities where we can really press into one another's lives, be known and know each other and really live life together. And so I hope that 
you would be at least willing to uh, consider if life groups haven't maybe lived up to what you hoped for. That maybe you would be willing to reevaluate even your expectations of what you're looking to get out of life group. Or maybe if you're frustrated with the way things are, maybe that you would actually want to take the step to to really be a part of, of creating and shaping a culture that you long to see within your life group. And, may, and maybe you, you even need time to be able to reevaluate what those values are that you're looking from that. So I hope that this series can be a, an opportunity for all of us to be able to, to think about these things more deeply, what it means to, to belong to one another and to live in community together. And so hopefully we can reorient ourselves to this vision of how we are seeking to live out our corporate calling and our identity as those who are followers of Jesus. And so, I want to launch in this morning to our first core value, and that of gospel growth. Gospel growth is our first value. And so, if you, if you left your Christianese dictionary at home, let me explain what that means. Um, uh, what do we mean when we say gospel growth is a core value of our life groups and our community? Well, ultimately, the, the theological category that we would place on this is that of, of conversion and sanctification. It's, it's that process whereby the Christian comes into faith in Jesus and is, is in this process where God is, is progressively transforming and shaping them to be more like Christ and to more accurately reflect the image of God. And we believe deeply that spiritual growth in our lives, that victory over sin, that the manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives is rooted in and born out of a clear and growing understanding of the gospel and how the implications of the, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus has massive ways in which it shapes our everyday lives. We believe that the gospel is that which motivates our obedience. And it's the Spirit of God that then empowers us to live in obedience to, to Jesus' call on our lives. We believe that in the gospel, we're not just saved from something, but we're saved to something to be a different type of people, not just to stay where we are, but that we're called to strive and commit to putting off the old self and through the power of the Spirit to put on a new life, to grow into a life which more clearly reflects the nature and the character of God. And I believe more and more that a deepening and expanding understanding of the gospel and its implications is going to be one of the primary means through which God will cultivate that growth in us. And I think that the reason why we place such an emphasis on the gospel over and over again, we try to preach it regularly, is because the gospel is the central story of the Bible. But maybe you have never fully understood what this gospel means, what that word even is. We can't talk about growing in the gospel unless we first fully and clearly understand what the gospel is. That in its most basic sense, it is good news. The gospel isn't merely something that we live or, or, you know, or, or, or practice or do, but the gospel is a message. And so it is good news, and it's the good news of God's story of redemption that really is the backbone and the whole story of the Scriptures. But it's a message that can be stated very succinctly and easily, but it's also a message that can be probed endlessly. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, summed up the gospel in probably one of the most concise ways that we have. 
when he writes to them at the end of his letter and he says, I want to remind you of the gospel, brothers. I want to remind you of this good news. And he says this to them. He says, that I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he told them this, and what he received was this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the Gospel in a nutshell. But it really is that, that story that is outlined throughout the whole of our Bible. The Bible is not just a collection of, of merely different passages and, and wisdom sayings, but it really is one big story that's being told. And at the center of that is the life of Jesus. This story starts in the garden when God, this holy and righteous and perfect being, creates this world and He places in the garden man and woman, creatures that are made in His image, in His likeness, sent to be His representatives in the world. Very quickly we find that they they don't want to really live under God's authority, but they want to choose what is right and wrong for themselves And so we see that they fall in rebellion against their creator king. And the whole of of the Bible is then God's story of redemption of His acts in this historical world to bring about the redemption of a lost humanity. And it culminates when Jesus Christ is born, God in human flesh, the incarnate Son of God who comes and lives a perfect life in our place, who then goes to the cross And on that cross, He's he's put to death, He's crucified, bearing all the weight and the guilt of our sin upon Himself. He's put in the tomb, in the grave, and three days later, He is raised victorious over sin and death to provide us the means of reconciliation with our Creator by forgiving our sins and offering us eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the good news that we have been offered The writer Ray Ortland gives this definition of the gospel that's pretty helpful. He says this, the gospel is this, that God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all His people from the wrath of God into peace with God, with a promise of the full restoration of His created order forever, all to the praise of the glory of His grace. The question ultimately then is, Do you believe that? Have you received that good news for you? Have you placed your faith in the person and the work of Jesus alone to rescue you? That's what the Bible is all about. And if we declare that as His people, if we believe and say that we have been saved by Jesus' death, if we believe that His His, his blood has atoned for our sins, then that has massive implications on our lives as His followers, and also on our lives together as His people. And so if we believe this gospel, then it should produce something in us, namely growth. The gospel is that which which creates growth in us, a transformation of our lives. And so the reality is that that we are not merely about just trying to fill this room on Sunday and put on a good show to, to get a crowd in here and put on some good services. 
We're not merely just about, you know, putting on parties for kids and different things, even though all of those things can be good things. We're going to have our kids run on slip and slides, and that can be a, a valuable tool in that. But, but at the end of the day, amidst all the things that we can do as a church, at its fundamental core is, is, is this commitment that we are about building a community who is growing in the gospel to understand the depth of what God has done in Jesus for us. And this growth in His people is what the Apostle Paul said the Gospel would do. He recognized this. I want to point us back to the book of Colossians that we first read. And this is what Paul said it was doing. He says, I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He says, since we heard of your faith. Why does he say that? Well, to understand the book of Colossians, you have to understand that Paul likely never visited this church. He didn't plant this church himself. This was a community of faith that had actually grown out of a disciple of Paul's, probably named Epaphras, who had gone to Colossae, had spread the gospel there, and this church had started. And Paul has heard about what's been going on within this community in the city of Colossae. And so he writes to them saying, hey, I heard about what's going on in your lives. He says, I heard about your faith in Jesus, the love that you have for each other, how how it's rooted in this hope that you've been given, and, and that hope was rooted in the gospel, the word of truth that came to them. He says that gospel that came to them, he says, you know what? It's doing the same thing in the whole world. It's going out into the whole world and it's, it's growing and increasing. It's bearing fruit. And he says, it's doing that same thing also among you. And it's been doing that thing, that, that growth, that bearing fruit. It's been doing that among the Colossians since the day they heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You see what he's saying there? He's saying the, 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 these people had, had heard, had understood, and learned the gospel. And what that did then is produce something in their lives, namely a deep faith commitment to Jesus, a love that, that has been spilling out in the way they care for one another in their community. And ultimately, this, this grand hope that they have because of what is promised to them in the gospel. And that's what the gospel does. It goes forth into our lives and it, it doesn't merely rescue us, but then it, it changes us. It grows us. The gospel is not merely a message that, that provides a formula for entry into heaven and an escape from hell. It most certainly does that. But it is also a story that reorients our entire being. It's something that reshapes our priorities. It shifts our allegiance. It breaks down our idols and it gives us new loves. It is that which cultivates and provides us what we need for growth. My wife has been cultivating a, a pretty large garden in our backyard over the last number of years, ever since we moved into our home. And uh, she does a lot of work to, to till the soil and, and plant things in the right place and, and try to treat things. But every year, the one fundamental thing that it comes down to with how well that garden grows is that we water it. And this year, the garden's doing great. We, uh, we installed a drip system in the garden, you know, those little sprayers and different things, so it gets down to the roots, and it's, it's been a game changer, so we can, we can water it deeply and everything, and the garden's flourishing. It's doing great. It's producing all sorts of, of vegetables and, and, and fruit all over the place. And yeah, there's things that we have to do and things that, that are there, and it needs sunshine and all that, but at the, at the end of the day, the one thing that we have to do to that thing is, is, is water it. Just keep putting water on it. 
And this fruit is happening. And so, I think for our lives, the gospel is like that. It's the water that, that we need in our lives to bring and cultivate and bring about fruit and growth in us. And that's why this is our first core value of our life groups, of our communities. Our life groups are not merely self-help groups or mere places for social connection and support. They may provide that, but at the end of the day, they are intended to be communities of broken people who are growing in their awareness of how sinful they are, of how, how holy and righteous God is, and how massive this redemption that has been given to us is. They're communities of people growing more deeply in the gospel. And I love how Paul describes his commitment to this end, to see growth in people's lives. At the end of Colossians chapter 1, he says this. He says that it's Christ that he continues to proclaim as he warns everyone and teaches everyone with all wisdom so that he may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says it's towards this end that that he toils, that he struggles, that he labors, that he works with all of the energy of Christ that he powerfully works within him. You see what he's saying? He's saying he gives everything that he has. He struggles and, 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 and pours out every ounce of his energy towards the end of seeing others mature in Christ to grow in their faith. Is that how you approach your involvement in community with others? To see your life grow and change, but also to to invest in other people, to see them grow, to work towards seeing them mature and and, and produce a a life that is bearing fruit and increasing. This is why this is such a crucial element and a foundational core value for us. But at the end of the day, we may ask, well, what does gospel growth actually look like? How do we know that that's happening in us? and within our relationships. And there's a lot that could be said about this, but I want to offer just kind of three points of ways in which we see gospel growth happening. And it's this. It's, it's one, that the gospel growth looks like us learning the gospel. First, we have to learn the gospel. We then begin to remind each other of the gospel. And lastly, we grow to preach the gospel to ourselves and each other. So we first have to learn the gospel, and many of you say, well, we're all Christians, so fundamentally you have to, you have to learn the gospel in order to even be a Christian, so, so we got that down. And what I, what I mean by this is that, that, that we grow deeper into our understanding of the gospel, to be able to see and understand what benefits have actually been won for us. I think we need to learn not merely the historical truth of Jesus' life, death, and, and resurrection but also the present realities that exist over you and me because of what Christ has done. I think there are a lot of Christians out there who who genuinely believe the historical truth of the gospel, that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. But I think there are many Christians who believe that and who are completely ignorant of the present realities that the gospel provides for them. I think of it like uh, my gym membership. I, uh, last few years, finally got a membership at a gym, trying to stay healthy a little bit, fight off the dad bod as long as possible, and uh, so I go to the gym occasionally. Well, and I was going to the gym, exercising for, for, for months on end, and I didn't realize that actually because of my membership, there was also this whole other benefits that, that, that was offered. 
And through their website and on, you know, this, this app, you can go in there and you, you gain points when you go to the gym and you can like get discounts on different, different things. There's this whole like opportunity to get discounts at restaurants and other places um, to even get like, you know, cheaper vacations. There's this whole world that you get as like kind of a side package of my gym membership. And I had no idea that it was there for, for months on end until I finally found that. And now I can like open that up and actually get a little bit of a discount at a restaurant, which is helpful when you're trying to feed six people anymore, especially with the prices of things. So uh, it was this like cool thing that I found, but I had no idea that it was there. And I think it's like that sometimes for us as Christians. Like we we say, yes, like, you know, I, I believe the gospel. I accepted that a long time ago when I was younger. That's like basic stuff, you know, that, that Jesus died for me. He brought me to faith in, in His Son. I, I trust in Him. My eternal home is secure. That's great. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, but what does that all have to do with the stuff that I'm dealing with today? Like, wh- how is that relevant to the, the struggles that I have as a, as a young parent for the challenges in my, in my marriage, for how I'm trying to figure out you know, what, what career path to take, for this season of, of singleness when I, when I long and desire to be married, but, it, but it's just not there. How, how, how does what Jesus did back then actually affect and, and, and help me right now with the things I'm dealing with? And I think if we're going to learn to understand the very practical implications of the gospel and how it speaks into everyday life, we have to grow to learn the gospel more deeply, to understand all of its facets. And it may take us actually wading a little bit deeper into the, into the theological pool, so to speak. Or maybe we need to, to, to grow in our understanding of the doctrine of justification. We, we sang about it in our song a little bit ago, right? Like, freely He justified. Do we understand what that really means? where Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, and he said, he described them in, in all of their old ways, that they were, they, they were, they were enemies of God, they were, they, were, they were heathens, they were living a life completely contrary to Christ, and then they were changed, and he says this, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do we realize what that actually means for us? Right now, currently, as we sit here, that we've been set apart and we've been justified, declared righteous by God or declared just as if we had never sinned. Like, do we realize that that's actually how God views us as we place our faith in His Son? Maybe we need to grow in our understanding of the doctrine of imputation. Not amputation, that's bad, but imputation. This is what Paul is, is talking about in Romans chapter 3. When he says that a righteous, uh, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although it was the law that, that actually uh, bore witness to it. But this is a righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Do you, like, you do understand what that means? That when you believe in Christ... That when, when Christ was on the cross, what happened was that all of your sinfulness, all the darkness of your heart was placed upon Him, was imputed and credited to Him. And He bore the wrath of God against that on the cross. And when we place our faith in Him, His active obedience, His perfect righteousness as a man lived in our place is applied, is credited, is, is imputed to us. 
So we have a righteousness, a perfect, holy standing before God that's not anything of our own, but something that is given to us. Do you understand that current reality that exists over you? Do you understand the the doctrine of propitiation? In Romans 3, Paul continues and he says that God put Jesus forth as a propitiation for our sins. I don't care if you remember the term, but do you understand the significance of it? That Jesus was set forth as as an atoning sacrifice, meaning that that, that there was a, a judgment due to our sin, that God in His perfect justice couldn't just ignore the fact that we're sinners. If He did that, He wouldn't be just. And so Jesus is offered as a sacrifice of atonement to cover our sins, to bear the wrath of God. And so therefore... Because of that, God's wrath against us has been propitiated. It's been appeased. It's been set aside. So God, who was formerly against us in in His just wrath, is now favorable towards you and me. That He looks on you with favor because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Do we understand that beautiful doctrine of adoption? which Beck so, so eloquently highlighted and displayed for us a few weeks ago in the story of Mephibosheth, that we, as, as Paul says in Galatians 4, we were, we were formerly slaves, but we are no longer a slave, but we are a son. And if we're a son, then we're an heir of God. Do we realize that we have a seat at the table, that we, we weren't just saved from, from, from hell and then just kind of sent on our merry way, but we have been invited and brought into the family of God as His children, that that's your identity, that's who you are. Do we understand the depth of the gospel? The, multi, the multifaceted view of the gospel to see all of these different things that have been provided and won for us because of Jesus. It's been said that the gospel is like a body of water in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. And I think sometimes we need to dive into the deep end and learn the gospel afresh. Learn it in, in, in its multitude of aspects so that we know who we are, the, the full identity as, as, as followers of Jesus, what has been won for us, what has been provided for us. And so when we begin to learn the gospel in community with one another, as we study the Word together, as we wrestle through these tough texts together, we then can begin to remind each other of the gospel. And we do this regularly when we gather. We remind each other of these truths because we so easily forget, right? And when we sin and when when we doubt and when we fear, usually it's because there's some aspect of the gospel that we're failing to believe in that moment. And we need each other to remind us of those things. We do that when we worship together, when we come together and we sing these these songs that are really just proclaiming the gospel. We're singing that to ourselves and over each other. We do that in our smaller groups when we begin to remind each other to remember our identity, which means that we we enter into a relationship to where we know each other, we we share our struggles, the things that, that, that we're battling we have the opportunity to encourage each other, to point each other to the truths of the gospel, to remember who we are. We remind each other of the gospel when we speak the truth in love, and even at times rebuke one another. 
to point out those things in our lives that, that maybe are out of step with what it means to follow and love Jesus. And we need each other to do that, right? Because sometimes we can't see it. We can't see it on our, on our own face. Don't you always appreciate it whenever you have spinach stuck in your teeth and somebody actually points it out and tells you about it? And we need that sometimes in our lives to, for, for others to, to point out those things. Sometimes that can be hard and, and difficult, but that's what we need. Especially when it's done in love and in the context of a gospel community who understands and believes the gospel over ourselves and over each other. We also remind each other of the gospel when we reconcile with one another. And this is where there is a powerful difference in the Christian community. You see, when we experience conflict in our relationships, when we sin against each other, and that will happen if you've been in community with others long enough, we will hurt one another, we will fail one another, we will let each other down, we will be offended and we will offend But the gospel offers us a path of reconciliation. Where in the world, what does the world offer? It's merely just a run and an escape from that. Get rid of that toxic relationship in your life and go find somebody who will affirm you and agree with your version of truth, whatever that may be. But in a gospel community, we can repent of our sins. We can be honest about our failures because they've been dealt with on the cross. When we are wronged, we don't have to hold that against the other person and demand that they atone for their sins because Jesus paid for it. So we can repent when we do wrong and we can extend forgiveness when we've been wronged. And when we do that, we're reminding each other of the gospel that has rescued us. And we're also showing that a life that has been forgiven much is one that is quick to forgive others. That is the radical difference within the Christian community, a community characterized by a growth in the gospel. The last thing that we need to do is also learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. As we learn and grow in that, as we remind each other of it, we begin to preach it to ourselves in the everyday things of life. We, we tell ourselves that because of the gospel, we don't have to pretend. Because we have been justified and declared righteous by God, we don't have to come in here and actually act like, oh, I got it all together and I'm, I'm perfectly morally upright and I have no flaws and I never sin. But because we have been declared righteous by God, we can be honest about our failures and realize what He's calling us to be. We preach to ourselves that we don't have to come in here and perform because we have a righteousness given to us outside of ourselves, we don't have to come in here and act as though we are, we are building up and accruing our own righteousness so that we can be accepted before God. But we have been given a perfect standing because of the work of Jesus. So we can be free to, to, to serve and live in the gifts and the ways that God has made us. We don't have to perform for one another. We don't have to live under shame and guilt Because Christ covered all of our sins, past, present, and future, we don't have to to live under the weight of our past, but we can find freedom from that. And as we preach the gospel to ourselves, we, we continue to recognize that it's the gospel that motivates our obedience. And as, as we fully realize what we have been given. The, the, the massive work and, and, and the grace that has been extended to us in the gospel, when we realize that, 
That is the path to avoiding, on the one hand, legalism, thinking that, that we have to earn or, or maintain God's favor by our works. But we can also run from a life of license or lawlessness on the other side, thinking that because of God's grace to us, it doesn't really matter how I live and I can do whatever I want. But because of Christ's grace to us, because He bought us with the price of His, of his life, the gospel reminds us, that we have been invited into a life of holiness to be set apart for God. And then we begin to realize that it's actually that life that He's offering and calling us to that is the path to flourishing, the path to true satisfaction, and the path to true joy. And this is what we long to see take root and grow within our community, within our life groups. A people who are radically being shaped and changed by the gospel of Jesus. This is why I think it's important for us here to be a part of one of these communities. To, to live life together, to connect with others to where we can practice and experience this growth. And it's the, the gospel that makes us a unique community and community is what we were made for as those who, who bear the image of God. We were never intended to live a life of isolation on our own, just finding our own way. But we are saved into a community, into a body, and connected with others from diverse backgrounds and different places, people that we wouldn't normally associate with or, or build relationships with. But because of what Christ has done, He's brought us together. And that's a beautiful thing. And so as we live out our calling as Jesus' disciples, together in the context of the church community, it's then that we can begin to display to the world the radical, reconciling nature of the gospel. And it's through our love for one another and our growth in the gospel alongside one another that the world is going to know that we're followers of Jesus. And alongside of one another in community, we have the opportunity to offer all the people around us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city, and in our world, a glimpse into a better way of being, a better way of living. Not running on our own towards whatever we long for, but fixing our eyes on the glory and the joy that is set before us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So will you press into this alongside and with us it has plenty of challenges. Again, it's not perfect. But will you press together towards this end to grow more deeply in the gospel in your own life and to encourage others alongside of you to embrace more deeply the beautiful glories of the gospel in theirs? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have got, called us together to be your people is something that we could have never created, but this is a miraculous work of your Spirit and your Word to rescue a fallen and broken people to yourself. So I ask that you would uh, cultivate this in us, help us to, to, to learn the gospel more deeply, to learn to remind each other of the gospel in our lives and how it, it has massive implications for the things that we deal with every day. And ultimately, let us learn to preach that gospel to ourselves, that we have been declared righteous by no, nothing of our own, 
but only because of, of the perfect righteousness of Christ that's been credited to our account. And because of that, we stand before you declared righteous as your children, adopted as your sons and daughters. Let us press in and live out that identity in the different places that you guide us into this week. And we ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.